Use my name. The street. Talk, motherfucker. My name is my name. The CEO who processes me reminds me of my stepfather. It makes sense. My stepfather was a cop with the same sense of displaced anger. But their bellies hang in the same way over their pants. Something about the starched uniforms of a CEO or a cop and being fat has always struck me as vulnerability. In their heads do they look like the movie stars who play cops and other figures of authority? I would ask him, but I can tell he dislikes me. He always treats me with utter contempt. I'm sure I'm just some liberal do-gooder in his mind, though maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he just thinks I'm soft. Some of the guys think that, for sure. Marshmallow's soft. They're wrong, but I'm happy for the cover. After all, I'm carrying the kind of literature that explodes, or at least explains the reasons men and women harassed and terrorized their entire life sometimes themselves explode. If he thinks I'm a marshmallow, then I take the compliment, since marshmallows today contain nothing of the essence of Athalia officinalis. I doubt he knows what that is. I wonder how many do. Such botanical knowledge is somehow quaint in an institution of steel and concrete, gray and full of the stench of industrial cleaning materials and sweat. A different CO escorts me down the quarter-mile hallway always past the factories and the cages. I started not to think of them, and he makes pleasant conversation about nothing, little remarks about his routine moving up and down this hallway. He's taking one of the incarcerated men to the hospital. I worry it's Brian, a friend of mine who is receiving chemotherapy for terminal blood cancer. He's looked awful lately. Skin marked by sores, no doubt caused by the poison used to treat his cancerous blood. They've been at war for seven years, he told me. I don't know him well as he misses classes often. His written assignments never fail to make it to me, though. They are sometimes incredibly insightful and other times fall into evangelical cliché. But the CEO does not know this side of him, a side I barely know, and instead is talking about how it's nice to get out even if he doesn't know when he'll get off shift because of the trip. Moving into my classroom a bit early today always simply depends upon the mood of the CEO who reminds me of my stepfather. Today he processed me quickly and actually called an escort in a timely manner. I doubt that he waits intentionally, just like I continue to doubt my stepfather was such a mean man on purpose. Still, even if I can be compassionate towards the pathetic show of masculinity, they both annoy me and I'm fond of neither. I find myself finally at ease in a room of men dressed in the same outfit. When I talk about my teaching inside, people are often surprised to hear that I'm far more comfortable with the incarcerated than the incarcerators. They are in institutional dress, but carry themselves so very different from the pathetic uniform of an overweight officer. These are sadder and unseemly, poorly tailored on the men who are nearly all almost certainly older than me. They do not remind me of my father. They do not remind me of anyone. They are dead in here. That's an effect of the serial nature of their dress. One after the other, the same man, 
the same guilty man, found so by a jury of their peers. But the narrative is bullshit. And these men here don't act dead, even if they are positioned as dead. We make small talk as I set up the room, laying out photocopies, my books, their graded assignments, the ones I promised them I wouldn't inflate their grades on, and that I'm nervous to hand out. They are still mostly older than me and wise about things I have simply no fucking clue about. Yet, because of our roles and because this is a real university experience, I have sat in judgment over their writing, their thinking, and I have put a grade to it. They're better writers and better thinkers than the lazy motherfuckers I teach on the outside. The vast majority of this class cares about doing the work, and so I try to carry out my role. If we are to be subjected to the same institution, this time the university, then it is more ethical for me to play my part as the professor than to pretend that we are equal. I'm already starting to sweat. The heat in this place is unbelievable and always worse in this room. The radiators are kicking up, but it's going to be in the 70s today. There is one window that we can open. I can't really tell where we are. We must be behind the big walls I see when I drive up. But outside the window, it's just a small rectangle of grass that I assume extends to my right, but you can't see very far, while to my left is the concrete wall of that same long hallway I walked down to get here. As I crack the window to get some air, I see two geese about three feet from me, really close, staring right at me. Well, hello there. I'm always a bit cloying with animals. Marshmallow. Oh, she switched spots from yesterday, one of the guys says as a few more come over to look. The mother goose has made a nest and is sitting on her eggs while the male patrols the perimeter. He can be a mean motherfucker, James says, in a friendly way that suggests he respects the goose a bit. Masculinity is not easy in here, and fatherhood is both contested and desired. It's a funny moment. More of the guys are coming into the room, and many are taking turns checking out the new position for the nest. Kings and wise men coming to gaze upon the vulnerable scene of two creatures trying to make more life, different from the usual grim reality of this place. Remember, these men are dead in here, their virility cut off. Sure, in a class like this, they practice their own dissimulation, their own survival, but they're still in here behind the concrete and steel, breathing the stale air of industrial cleaning materials and sweat. Yet out there is some life. The geese have got a little land. Sure, the male goose is a bit pathetic with his strutting about, but who could blame him for trying? You get the sense that he wants this and that she does too. Who knows what a goose feels for another goose, but for us in that room, there was a sense that this was good. We were rooting for that mean motherfucker, and we enjoyed seeing them. But, as they are just geese, we begin class. The topic today is anti-black racism and colonial violence. Our conversation is intense. We go line by line through one of those explosive texts. They perform a commentary over the lines. At one point, Henry says he wants to ask a question. I like him. He's a very tall man. He's incredibly attractive. Big, strong arms that contrast in an all-too-pleasing way with the kindness of his soft eyes. His questions are always incredibly deep. Sometimes they feel like they come from left field, 
but in that way where you sense that some kind of brilliance lies behind the bizarre surface. He wants to know why I care about race. He says as a black man he understands why he cares, but why would I care as a white man? I have to chastise him for giving my narcissism a platform. I try very hard to make sure I say that I care because it is about the work of analysis and understanding. That to understand the world we live in, to understand suffering, to understand why it is all so wrong, you have to turn your attention to race and the way it structures all of that. He is nodding along while not breaking eye contact, and I'm glad for it. For the white students in the class, I feel I need to perform a little something here too. They've been quiet today, quieter than usual. They are the clear minority in this facility as they often are in the work camps that dot this country. But rarely are they this quiet. I fear they too think I'm some typical liberal like their white CEO does. I say that it has nothing to do with white guilt for me and I launch into my differentiation between guilt and shame. I'm not sure they buy it. Sometimes I'm not sure I do, like when I fuck up Larry's name again. I never fuck up the white guy's names here. In other classes I do because there are too many named Phil or Tom now, just like there are too many white girls named Mara in this city. But why do I never fuck up these white guys' names? I always feel some racist guilt about that and even doubt my intention in always owning up to it. I'm so sorry, that's not acceptable of me. Fucking shameful. People seem to be interested in this difference between guilt and shame. They connected to some of the other work they're doing in classes on genocide and history. These students are always doing that. So we keep going, but we're interrupted by the loud sound of a goose honking and flying away. I'm disoriented for a moment, like when a number of glasses fall and shatter in the next room over, or you hear something like an explosion off in the distance. Ali was just starting to talk, but the room is now all turned away from him looking out the window. Frank turns to me and says, they stick the dogs on them. The geese had just made a hasty escape from a dog let off his leash. I've seen this dog before. He apparently belongs to the warden, though during the day is partnered with an inmate. Marshmallow I am, I figured this was a nice thing the prison did. Oh, how nice. Some of the inmates get to work with dogs during the day. But the dogs serve a purpose, and we just witnessed it. Peter says, sometimes they get them, but then they come and shake the eggs. Ali is agitated that people are still not paying attention. We can hear the geese honking still, protesting the dog getting so close to their nest, though we can't see them. I assume they've perched somewhere just above us. You can hear panic in their honk. That vulnerability we saw earlier was not simply a plot point. It was a true weakness, and they're facing that reality now. An inmate in a gray jumpsuit, far less offensive than the burgundy of my students, comes into view and leashes the blue healer. Rachman is on his feet and at the window. He's perhaps the oldest of the group and a fiery contributor to the class. He's often wrong, but he doesn't know it. And when he's not wrong, he's really on. He's stubborn in that way that old men who have been through wars and built lives for themselves often are. I don't think he's ever served in the military, but he's been through the war that is America for a black man and maintains that he's serving time for a crime he didn't commit. I try to tell them such claims are not necessary. It's not really my place to pass judgment, and regardless of their innocence or guilt, this is not the kind of institution I would want them to be in. 
Rachman yells out to the inmate in the gray. Hey man, leave them alone. Don't do that. He's old too and has a kind of slowness to his speech that suggests former acquiescence that settled into malaise. It's my job. What do you want me to do? He asks as he bends over and shakes the geese eggs, destroying the fragile mix of goo developing into life. The angry honking of the geese has become a lament, though I suspect the mother will sit on the eggs again, not knowing the fruitlessness of her action. Ali is really upset by being ignored now and he tries once again to speak. Peter looks at me and says with a sad smile, Isn't that what they always say? Just doing my job? Some others say something about shame and guilt. I can't quite follow. I'm torn between wanting to cry from the sadness of it and wanting to make sure Ali is heard and knows he's valued. The mood is hard afterwards. Another reminder that this place is a place of death. Chris, the only out gay man I know who is incarcerated, lost a close friend to suicide just two weeks ago. I don't know if Brian will make it through the semester. Who knows how much longer the tenuous romantic relationships some of the men have fostered with women outside the prison will survive their incarceration. For a moment, we let ourselves get soft looking at those geese, but as they sounded their protest and the men's voices joined them, the power of death reasserted itself. We were robbed of our joy and yet the class continued, as it always does, under the shadow of death. I didn't talk to the CEO who escorted me out, but I did thank him at the end of our walk. I don't really know what for. Maybe because he wouldn't have understood anything else. <laughs>